Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It speaks to one who is asleep, asleep in darkness, out of full obedience to the will of God for your life, either caught up in sin or stagnation. Jesus stirs you awake. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. These are the words of Ephesians 5. This is the message that we see for World Outreach Weekend. As we look at Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 14, you're gonna see natural bridges that connect to World Outreach Weekend in verses 1 and 2, and then beginning in verse 3, it's gonna have nothing to do with World Outreach Weekend. But then World Outreach Weekend is naturally gonna have bridges from the text and its application beginning later on in verse six through 14. All right, is that okay? Let's let the text speak. Let's look at Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse one. We as a church emphasize global missions and always have from the onset, since our founding, from the very beginning of Highlands Community Church. You realize that we funded a missionary before we paid Wally Wilson, the first pastor of Highlands Community Church. That's how, that's how deep the roots go. I mean, kids ministry and, and international missions are like the, the, the roots of Highlands Community Church. And every so many years, a family from Highlands Community Church will just, in the, in, as, at God's drawing, just sell everything, leave it all behind, leave this life behind to take hold of the life that is truly life and obedience to God's calling on their hearts to be missionaries somewhere. And I wanna know who's next. I wanna know who's next. I wanna see more such stories. As God was making it clear to my bride and I that it was time to obey this calling to be a lead pastor, we saw the stories of Highlands Community Church members who sold everything to go and obey God's call to become missionaries. And we said, that, that tells us everything we need to know about this church. The members of Highlands Community Church with reckless abandon would sacrifice that, which is, that, that life which is earthly for that life which is truly life and obey the Great Commission and go on global missions full-time as a lifestyle. That, that, that told us everything we need to know about Highlands Community Church. They said, we found this church and it's in Seattle and they teach the Bible and every couple of years somebody just leaves everything to go on mission full-time. I said, that's our church. And I wanna know who's next. We, since that calling in your heart that's stirring? Oh, Pastor Jesse, I'm nervous because I think it might be me. It is. <laughs> Let me confirm your fears. You're absolutely right. It is only the Holy Spirit of God that would call you to go on mission to share the gospel with the lost to make disciples afar. It is only the Holy Spirit of God who would do such a thing, such a beautifully disruptive thing, to call that upon your heart. There's, there, there's, there's such beauty in abandoning everything for the sake of that call. There's such, there's such fruitfulness in it. It's a difficult calling that will cost you everything, but it's, if you're called on missions, it's the only way you'll ever know that you're actually obeying God's call for your life. You'll be miserable doing anything else. <laughs> Romans chapter 10 speaks about this. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's beautiful news. It's beautiful news, but what about the people who haven't heard the gospel? 
This is a common question. What about those people who live in the heart of Sudan and they never heard the name of Jesus? What about the people who don't have a Bible translation in their language? What about the people who never hear the gospel? Jesse, if they die having never heard the name of Jesus, they never give their lives to Christ, if they die having never heard the name of Jesus, would they go to hell? It's not fair, nobody told them the name of Jesus. It's not their fault, they didn't hear the gospel. If people die without knowing about Jesus, do they go to hell? Very common question. Answer, I give you with a heavy heart, is yes. Yes. Because there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus. Now, I've seen God do amazing things in the mission field. I've seen people receive visions from the Lord that would lead them to where they could hear the gospel. But the answer to your question, in short, is yes. If you let it, that news will overwhelm you. But if you listen to God's call, it will define you. The answer to the question, people who die without hearing about Jesus go to hell, the answer to the question is yes. Now what are you prepared to do? You can either be overwhelmed at the thought of it, or you can rise up and obey the calling on your life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This precise question is both asked and answered in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him if if they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. May your feet be beautiful. Spiritual pedicures for everybody, Highlands Community Church but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This news that people need Jesus. They can't call upon God if they've never heard of him. They can't hear about him unless someone preaches to them. No one's gonna preach unless they're sent. It either overwhelms you or in the tradition of Highlands Community Church, it tells you, well, then I better go to them. And there's no higher calling that I can answer with my life than to bring the gospel to those who haven't heard it yet. If you're brand new to Highlands, I want you to take a glimpse at just how much this church does in international missions. Okay, take a look at this. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. At Highlands, we take this charge seriously. With seven and a half billion people on the earth, we need to be strategic. Which brings us to the strategy. Our approach is simple. It's to assist church plants by leveraging Highland's strengths. That means we come alongside strategic partners around the globe with the best of what Highland's has to offer. We've identified three important relationships with whom we are partnering. First, international leaders. We believe that to change a nation, you have to equip key leaders in that country. Second, effective ministries already serving within countries. We are better together. That's why we are partnering with strategic ministries in key locations. The third important relationship is us, North Americans. 
From its beginning, Highlands has prioritized sending people to serve internationally. The future offers us exciting opportunities to continually do this. So what are the ways in which all of us can be serving? First, we'll be involved in missionary care. People give up everything to serve God on the front lines, and we want to give everything to make sure they're cared for spiritually, financially, emotionally, and relationally. Then, get ready to roll, because Highlands will be involved in sending short-term teams. We don't just want to support from a distance, but also to learn from and serve with our international ministry partners. And we will also be involved in funding strategic ministry initiatives. Our ministry partners are identifying effective opportunities that can be made possible through our financial resources. How is God calling you to be a part of this exciting ministry? For more information, visit us online at highlandcc.org. So who's next? Who's next? Would you look at Ephesians 5 with me? Beginning in verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's go back and look this passage, chunk by chunk. It's a beautiful calling to awaken from spiritual sleep, rise from the dead and walk in full obedience to what God has called you to do and Christ will shine on you. A beautiful metaphor of going from darkness to light and who is the source of the light? It is Christ who shines on you. Now, Verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. That's fascinating. Children who are beloved by their parents tend to imitate their parents. I'll give you an example. Right, my sons, this is great, this is great. I, I'm so excited about this, this, this phase of life. I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, six-year-old boy, and they have started mowing the lawn for me. Yes, <laughs> I'm good for like the next decade and a half. No more yard work for me. 
They're fascinated with it. It began with me pushing my lawnmower and then Austin, cozy, pushing his toy lawnmower right behind me. Why? Because I'm his dad. I love him. He knows that he's loved. He wants to imitate me. Now, their, their main fascination came not with the, the weed eater edger thing. That was kind of cool, I guess, for a minute. And then I put the battery on the blower. And now it's this, just this giant air bazooka that runs on magic. And uh, they, will, they, they will clamor and they will play paper, rock, scissors for the one who gets to use the blower. In fact, the blower may be the whole reason that they do the yard work at all. <laughs> and it took some coaching in this just to show them, like, no, you can't just blow it into the neighbor's yard or directly into the street. Like, you have to corral it and then put it in the compost bucket because we live in Washington now. The blower is their favorite tool. In fact, you, I just want you to look at this. Here's, here's Asher the Basher using the blower. That is passion. This is also, this is also, if you think about it, it's a little bit like discipleship, isn't it? Do you see it? And they imitated me. They started doing what I do. Because I'm their father and I love them. And so they started doing the yard work because they wanted to imitate me. At first they were pretending, now they're actually doing it. And then preaching the word, I mean, my son Austin started imitating me and writing sermons. Your children know that they're loved and they will tend to imitate you. And this is the, this is the principle that, that that play in verse one. As beloved children of God, we are to imitate God. On my trip to, to Vietnam a few months ago, we smuggled, we smuggled Bibles into Vietnam where they could be dispersed by a member of Highlands who's been on the ground there for some time now. I met a man named Pastor Teen and he is indeed an imitator of God. He was in prison for sharing the gospel in Vietnam. He was in prison for over three years. And then after that three-year time span, he was released from prison, and the very first place that he went was to his pulpit, beginning to share the gospel again. He was imprisoned again thereafter. His wife was asked, what are you gonna do? She said, I will wait for him, because I know that when he comes back, he will share the gospel again. And so, another three and a half years in the Vietnamese prison. His very first stop after being released from prison was back to his pulpit to share the gospel again. And then God provided. He testified before the United Nations. When Vietnam claimed to be giving religious freedom to its people and acknowledging Christianity, Pastor Team was there to say, <clears throat> excuse me, my experience has been different. <laughs> he didn't use those words. <laughs> but because he testified before the UN, now he's untouchable. And now he shares the gospel all the more loudly. Pastor Teen is one of the most incredible men of God I've ever met in my life. He started a seminary out of a small church. He's been equipping pastors and teaching them how to preach, teaching them how to run their churches, and he was, he was instrumental in bringing the gospel to the Hmong people throughout Vietnam. He's an imitator of God. As he served us lunch at his conference table, I noticed that he was missing some fingers. We didn't bother to ask. He's an imitator of God. Be an imitator of God, beloved children. What does verse two say? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The manner of Christ's love that we are to imitate is his self-sacrifice. The way that he gave himself on the cross on our behalf. This is a precursor to the instructions that are gonna be given specifically to husbands at the end of this chapter. Verses one through 21, right, speak about the church at large. Verse 22 to the end of the chapter likewise continues to speak to the church about the church, but it zooms in on wives and husbands. And you're gonna see this teaching about Christ sacrificing himself for us brought up as the standard by which husbands are to love their wives at the end of the chapter. We are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That which is fragrant is burned, it is sacrificed, it is crushed, and it cannot be taken back again. As a fragrant aroma rises, it cannot be restored once more. It is given freely without any intention of ever receiving it back. As a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In honor of World Outreach Weekend, would we take a moment to thank God for Christian missionaries who have laid their lives down on the line for the sake of the gospel. At Highlands, we support many missionaries, many of whom are in danger, All right? Next week, I'm going to minister to some of them. We're in a nation that I can't name on camera. And we, we serve missionaries who are in danger quite regularly. Would you, would you take a moment and pray specifically for our missionaries who are in danger the martyrdom of Christians is not over. You understand? All right, let's take a moment just right now and pray for Christians who are in the line of fire. God, you laid your life down for us as a fragrant offering, Jesus. And Lord, we are called to imitate you. And at Highlands, we support missionaries who imitate you by likewise laying their lives down on the line, potentially as a fragrant offering to you. So God, would you protect our missionaries? Lord, with their... Would their last words be the gospel? Would it be heard by those who need you? Would your spirit work upon the hearts of those who hear their testimonies? And would you bring revival, Lord, from the martyrs? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you pray for our missionaries, pray likewise for our missionaries' marriages. I was in Thailand, members of our team, and we put together a retreat for our missionaries. And we could just minister to husbands and wives specifically. And the most poignant moment of this mission trip was when I invited husbands and wives to just pray for one another. I've been there at the big Christian concert event where an amazing Dove Award winning band is playing on the stage and it's very emotionally compelling and people run to the front with tears soaking their faces and they just immediately give their lives to the call to missions. And it's a very stirring and uplifting moment. I've been able to see missionaries long after that has faded. Do you understand? Because it fades pretty quickly. And what you're left with is some of the difficulty that affects their marriages. We had allocated time in this session for them to be able to pray for each other for a few, a few minutes. But as, as I stepped away from the platform and as Nathan Abbott just kind of plucked on the guitar for just a moment to give them time to pray out loud, Husbands praying over their wives and wives praying over their husbands. It didn't take long at all for the tears to begin to flow around the room. And we had to, we had to, let, we had to just step back and let God go. I was not about to dare interrupt this time of prayer that was happening among missionary couples praying for one another. It is hard on marriages to serve on the mission field. As you pray for our missionaries, pray for those who are in the line of fire, but pray also 
also for their, for their marriages. Look at verse three with me. Here's where you'll find we begin to address matters like sexual immorality. So World Outreach Weekend will disappear from the scope of the text, but we'll return at the end. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. The standard for holiness is high, isn't it? Some translations render this, that among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of greed or impurity, for these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The standard for holiness is just high. What, what would you have me do? Shall we lower the bar, Highlands? Or shall we aspire into the standard that God raises for holiness? The standard is high. Not even a hint. Sexual immorality should not even be named among God's saints. So the classic question that's asked at every youth camp every year, how far is too far, is the wrong question. Even a hint of sexual immorality should not even be named among us. That's what the text says. That's what the text says. Is God okay with you looking at pornography? No, there should not be even a hint of sexual morality among us. Is God okay with the extramarital affair that you've been flirting with? No, are you kidding me? Not even a hint of sexual morality. Have you been letting sexual morality and impurity and covetousness and foolish talk and coarse joking creep into your life? Wake up, sleeper. Holiness matters. Holiness matters to God. Not even a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint of greediness, not even a hint of idolatry, not even a hint of covetousness. Some translations render the word filthiness as obscenity. And this is consistent with the authoritative lexicon by Bauer and Danker. Throughout history and across cultures, most sins are sins in every language. Like if you, like murdering someone in Greek is the same as murdering someone in English. Okay, both murder. Likewise, across, uh, even in a singular culture, across centuries, murdering someone in the year 1900 is sinful. Murdering someone in 2019 in the same culture is still sinful. Okay, like cultural differences have zero effect on the sinfulness of sin and the elapsation of time has no bearing on the sinfulness of sin. However, profanity is different. Profanity is a, is a weird, obscenity is a weird kind of sin. It's the one sin that culture actually defines for us. Through the evolution of language, some words that were once colloquial can begin to develop like a pejorative connotation. They can begin to become banal. They can begin to become uh, more common and devolve further and further with increased frequency of insulting usage until they eventually objectively become defined as obscenity. All right? When you think about a given curse word, it once probably had a common usage. Right, there are certain curse words that actually, in a certain context, are not curse words at all. Obscenity is, the, is this weird sort of sin that is defined in part by culture. Because a word spoken in one language may involve the same, you know, phonetic faculties, teeth, and your lips, and your tongue, to form a certain sound, which in another language is not an obscenity at all. So you can't be legalistic and say like it's sinful to shape your teeth and tongue and mouth into this 
form and produce this phonetic sound. Rather, we take our cues from culture as to what is defined as obscenity, as, as what is defined by profanity, and then that evolves over time. Words today that are considered perfectly common and colloquial over time may become profane. While murder is murder in any language, profanity changes over time. Isn't that fascinating? Because the standard for that which was profane, it becomes more difficult to understand. So how do you know, Jesse? How do, how do you know if what you're saying is obscene? How do you know if what you're saying is profane? Right? Well, if there's even a hint, if there's even a hint, it's probably best to stay away from it. You wake up to the sin that creeps into your life. That includes sexual morality. That includes the covetousness that's mentioned here. That includes impurity. That includes filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. That's what the text says. All right, and last week, consider what we saw in verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. Do this with full obedience to whatever the Holy Spirit of God convicts you to do. And walk in obedience to exactly that calling. Now also be mindful of what the Spirit convicts upon your heart and note that other people are in different places in their walks. This text has been used to justify pharisaical legalism. You guys follow what I mean when I say that? Acting like a Pharisee, coming up with rules that you personally follow. It's a dangerous thing to, to walk in obedience fully to the definition of obscenity and profanity here. If you have a personal conviction about a given word and somebody else doesn't have the same conviction, we lack an objective standard by which to measure like this is objectively profane. So please don't look to your brother or sister in Christ who has a different standard around obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking than, than what's in your heart and don't speak condemningly of another brother out of legalistic condescension. Rather, listen to what the Spirit lays upon your heart and walk, walk in obedience to that before God. You'll give an account before God if you've been convicted for sin and walk in it nonetheless. Other people will not answer to you in judgment. They will likewise answer to God. So we must apply this, we must apply this teaching knowing full well Knowing full well that the standard for that which is considered crude joking, that which is considered profanity, may be difficult to measure. So listen to the Spirit's conviction in your own heart. Speaking of legalism, I'm going to Dubai this week with my bride. We have people we support and work with who run a network of underground illegal churches in another country, and they're going to meet us in Dubai. And my bride and I are going to minister to them there. There's lots of legalism in Dubai, lots of rules in Dubai. People have, been, people have been legally punished for kissing in restaurants, okay? This is going to be difficult for me. Because, I mean, have you seen my wife? So pray for me. <laughs> pray for me. Because there, there's legalism that pervades Dubai, but it's, it's legalism that comes from a, from a pagan basis, a pagan worldview. So pray for me as I try not to kiss my bride to the glory of the one true God. <laughs> and let us not fall into the same legalism ourselves. Look at verse five. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If someone commits one single sin of sexual immorality, is, is he or she never to be saved? No. So what does this text mean? What does this text mean? You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, if you've ever coveted one thing that belongs to another person, does that mean that you are now beyond the reach of grace to be saved permanently? Do you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God? Right? 
It, or is it possible that this is somebody whose whole life is defined by sexual morality and he or she has no intention of repenting from sexual immorality? Somebody whose whole life is built upon impurity and he or she has no intention of repenting from that impurity. Somebody whose whole identity and world is built upon covetousness and idolatry and he or she has no intention whatsoever at all of repenting from covetousness or idolatry. Obviously, if somebody commits one of these sins one time, right, that person gets saved, confesses with his or her mouth that Jesus is Lord, believes in his or her heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, they'll be saved. And they won't be an idolater anymore. They wouldn't be a coveter anymore. They wouldn't be sexually immoral anymore. Rather, like 1 Corinthians 6 says, they will be washed, justified, and sanctified by the Spirit of our God. So what does verse 5 mean? I believe that it speaks to people who have no intention of ever repenting from their sexual immorality. People who have no conviction whatsoever at all about their impurity, who have nothing wrong with covetousness, and have no intention of ever laying down their idols. That is what I believe verse 5 describes. Why then do we refer to alcoholics as alcoholics for life? Do you see how contrary that is to the gospel? I understand that it's, it's more of a, a quasi-medical condition. That's something that, like, this is somebody, somebody who's going to struggle with this desire forever, and if they ever start drinking again, there's a likelihood they won't be able to stop. I get that. I get that. But I'm grateful for our Celebrate Recovery ministry at Highlands Community Church. I have utmost respect for the ministry impact of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's been able to reach thousands upon thousands of people for decades upon decades. It's great. But I don't believe that you should wear the name of your former sin like a scarlet letter for the rest of your life. Rather, mindful of what your struggles are and your temptations are, I think that you could be washed, justified, and sanctified, that your name is no longer your sin, but your name is now child of God forevermore. So please don't misunderstand me. If, something, if alcoholism is something that you identify as, that's a wise precaution to protect yourself from temptation in the future. But please know that if you've been washed and justified and sanctified by the spirit of our God, God doesn't look at you and see your sin anymore. He sees his child. Now, this catalog of sins describes those who have zero intention of ever repenting from their sexual immorality. And this sin doesn't actually name us once we're saved. So instead we're called. We're called by this text to wake up, O sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up from the darkness of your sin. Wake up from your sexual immorality. Let there not be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. And instead, wake up, O sleep, arise from the dead. Let God grant you repentance and Christ will shine on you. Verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Have you been a partner with darkness in somebody's life? Have you consoled your friend who does struggle with addiction and sin? Have you consoled your friend in his or her sin? Have you partnered with darkness knowing that God has clear words about sin in his Bible but because of cultural pressure, you feel awkward bringing it up and confronting your friend over their sin? And so you'll even pretend like it isn't sin at all? Have you partnered with darkness then? Let verse six speak to you if it does. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Christian, when you tell people that God is okay with their sin, you're doing the work of Satan. 
Do not become partners with darkness. Rather, rather the text says, you were once that darkness, but now you're light. So walk as children of light. Instead, wake up the sleepers. Call sin, sin. Repent of your own sin and invite others into the same grace that you found in Jesus Christ. Do not partner with darkness. Don't be deceived by attempts to rationalize sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness that is idolatry. Because of these things, the Mack truck of God's wrath is coming. It is not loving of you to look at your friend in the path of the Mack truck and not call it what it is. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So call sin, sin. Don't partner with darkness. Repent of your own sin and invite others into the same grace in which you abide, Christian. Our missionaries work to counter such empty words taught by pagan faiths throughout the world. There are legalistic religions that would do nothing to transform the heart of the sinner, offer zero hope to those who are caught in the bear trap of sin and drag them further into the very darkness that is named in this text. To be a missionary is to wage war with such darkness. We've seen the effects of, of, of legalism on our own missionaries. We've seen people who, who will espouse a devout orthodox view of the Quran, who would martyr Christians, but pride themselves on their abstinence from alcohol. They will murder people who name Jesus, but then pride themselves on the fact that they, they don't commit other sins. This kind of legalism leads to a depraved sense of self-righteousness as they would impose, impose restrictions on the growth of the one true faith that could actually set people free. And so some of our missionaries, some of our church planters and church network leaders have been imposed by regulations from their own government. There was one, there was one man who oversees a network of churches. There are 26 of them in his network. His, his nation's government knows about six of them. And they told him, you need to completely replace the outside of your entire building. And this would have financially bankrupt the organization. Because of your generosity, Highlands Community Church, we were able to fund the replacing of the whole fascia of the entire building. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your generosity because we serve missionaries who face exactly this kind of darkness. Verses eight through 10 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. There's no greater transformation than from darkness to light itself. A Christian cannot blend into a sinful culture any better than a lit spotlight can blend in in a dark cave. You used to be darkness, but now you're light. Do you see now? The theme, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will, what does the text say? Shine on you from darkness indeed to light indeed. Verse 10 is fascinating. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Please don't mistake this for Christian divination. Please don't mistake this for a Christian imitation of pagan practices to discern his will. Rather, if you are at a crossroads right now, if you're trying to discern exactly what God's will is for your life in a very practical sense, trying to understand what God would have you do in regard to a decision to be made, a path to be taken, I would impress upon you the same text that I taught my very first sermon here, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Let your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. That a spiritual discernment comes from a knowledge of God's word. You don't need to 
You don't need to resort to pagan rituals. You don't need to resort to divinations, if you will. You don't need to, you, you don't, you don't need to wait for some sort of special revelation sign from heaven. You've been given the full counsel of God. And Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says you can then, right there, love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight, discern what is best, and maybe pure and blameless before God, and fill with the fruit of righteousness. I think Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is the ideal text to coach a young high school graduate trying to determine what God's will is for his or her life. And then verses 11 through 14 talk about exposing secret sin. You know that sin is strengthened in secrecy? Are you stuck in that? Do you have secret sin that nobody else knows about? And there in the darkness, it just festers. It rots, it ferments, and it grows. Sin is strengthened by secrecy. Would you instead, instead expose it to the light? Instead, would you get busted to the glory of God? Instead, would you just be fully, fully known? Verses 11 and 12 can be confusing because verse 11 tells us to expose the works of darkness, but verse 12 says that it's shameful to even mention such things. So which one is it? I don't believe that verse 11 is about tattling on other people's sin because like to whom are you gonna report that really? God, he already knows about it. Hey, rather, I think verse 11 is about your own sin. Expose your own sin. To confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Like we just studied last week, set aside falsehood and speak truthfully with your neighbor because we're all members of one body. Don't let darkness create a laboratory for your sin to grow stronger. Instead, expose your own sin. Have a clear conscience before God and man. Oh, what a beautiful thing that is, to be known and loved. If you have artfully crafted a mask and people have shown affection to it, they're not really showing affection to the real you. They're showing affection to the artifice you've crafted. But instead, if you would... Set aside falsehood. Speak truthfully with your neighbor in the context of a small group, man to man, woman to woman. If you would establish accountability in your life with whom you could be raw and authentic and known and loved, you would eliminate the foothold that the devil has in your life. Expose your own sin. Be loved for who you actually are. Establish accountability and secure repentance from that sin, and then, with your conscience clear, your integrity intact, sleep like a fat baby. <laughs> because you've exposed your secret sin. You've brought to light that which was in the darkness. Verse 12 says, it's, it's shameful to even speak of the things we do in secret. But if anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, and anything that becomes visible is light. Listen to this. You know John three sixteen, but do you know what comes after it? Prepare to be blessed by the context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Name sin, beginning with your own. Come into the light of God. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is, this is beautiful news. This final battle anthem is one that I want us to pray now for the nations. I want us to pray it over our own nation. I want us to pray it over Seattle. I want to pray it over you specifically. And I want those who are spiritually in darkness, spiritually asleep, to wake up. Rise from the spiritual dead that Christ would shine on you. You become a Christian at last today. As we share the gospel with the nations when we leave, we're gonna begin by sharing the gospel with you right now. Wake up, O Sudan. Rise from the dead that Christ would shine on you. Wake up, North Korea. Christ would shine on you. Wake up, Tajikistan. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, Russia. Rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. Wake up, distant nations, riddled with pagan futility. Rise from the dead, that Christ would shine on you. God, would you wake up the United States of America? Would you cause us in our spiritual death to rise up? And would you shine on us once more, God? Oh, Seattle, rise from the dead. Wake up, oh sleeper, that Christ would shine on you. Wake up, oh Renton, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, oh Kent, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. God, bring revival to the nations and bring it here while you're at it. Would you wake up the sleepers? Bring the spiritually dead to life. Call them by name like you called Lazarus. Let him come staggering out of his grave to see his Savior face to face and shine, oh Jesus, shine upon those who are dead in sin that they may come alive for you oh sleeping missionary in our midst would you look at me you look at me and don't blink you the sleeping missionary God's called you to go on mission and you haven't answered. God's called you to bring the gospel up to your neighbor and you haven't listened. God's called you to repent from these sins listed here. You've been ignoring his conviction, growing numb to the spirit. That's a dangerous place to be. You've been spiritually asleep. You've been acting like a coward. You haven't answered God's call. You've been spiritually sedating yourself with something else. You've been out of obedience to God's will for your life. You look at me and you don't blink. Awake, oh sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He will shine on you. Do you believe the last part? Do you believe that Christ will shine on you? What would that look like? Oh, would you let your mind run wild with what God could do? What does it mean for Christ to shine on you? Is it possible? Is God able to lead your whole family to Christ? I've seen it. 
Is God able to lead all of your coworkers and your team to Christ? Is God able to use you on a mission trip to go to a distant nation and bring the gospel to people who have never heard the name of Jesus before? That instead of going to hell, because the Spirit's work in their life, working through you in your obedience to the Great Commission, as you wake up from your slumber, rise from the dead, Christ shines on you and other people see his light. Is God able to do that? Yes, he is. Wake up, oh sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And then finally, if they carried you in here on a stretcher because you're spiritually dead in your sin, you don't know Jesus, wake up, oh sleeper, you rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, you've been asleep but Jesus is calling your name right now. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead because Christ is going to shine on you. Would you listen to the Spirit's calling on your life? If you've been a wayward Christian or if you've been lost your whole life, wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ is going to shine on you if you so dare. Answer the Savior's call. Pray his word out to him. Pray with me now. Jesus, I believe that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I'm calling upon your name right now. Highlands Community Church, would you call upon the name of Jesus? Say his name, Jesus. I believe that you love the world so much, God, that you gave your one and only son, that if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. I confess that I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've committed the sins listed here. I've committed sexual immorality. I've committed impurity. I've committed covetousness. I've committed idolatry. And I acknowledge that the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that Jesus is the truth. I believe that Jesus is the life. And I know there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. Send me to the nations. Bring revival in my wake. Light up the darkness. Make the sleepers awake. Shine on us, Jesus. Wake the dead and shine on us. In Jesus' name, amen.